Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Is there anything you require to make your stay a more pleasant one? Hmm. You find me amusing. No. It's just that you are the fifth woman to ask me that question this morning. All I require is to sit in the sun, read my book, alone. Well, here we are, Bruce. This is our fifth episode of the Positively Trek Book Club. And uh, I just want to ask, how do you think it's going so far? I think it's going great. Uh, It's like we've done this many times before. I feel like we're pros at reviewing Star Trek books. Yeah, it really does feel like we've done it a lot more than five times. That's interesting. Hmm. Yeah, like on another show somewhere that's all about books. Hmm. Uh, could be, could be. Well, I'm Dan Gunther, one of your hosts for the Positively Trek Book Club, as I've said. And with me, of course, the other voice you heard is Bruce Gibson. So, Bruce, what are we talking about today? Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you asked. This is so cool. I would have never thought to come up with this idea, but I did come up with this idea. It is a Star Trek. The Next Generation book, but it's not the typical novels that we read, right? It is Warped, an engaging guide to the never-aired eighth season by Mike McMahon, who is the creative mind behind Lower Decks. That's why we picked this book. Yeah, definitely. And I I think it's worth reading the back cover blurb for this book just to kind of get an idea of exactly what it's all about. So uh, from the back of the book jacket, it says... In the basement of the Star Trek archives, behind shelves of USS Enterprise NCC-1701D models, bags of wigs, and bins of plastic phasers, sits a dusty cardboard box. Inside is a pile of VHS tapes that contain never-before-seen episodes and behind-the-scenes footage for something truly amazing. The world thinks there are only seven seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation, but there's one more. A secret season. Actually, not really. But that didn't stop Mike McMahon, creator of the parody Twitter account at TNG Season 8, from making a guide full of real TNG Season 8 facts and stories, real TNG Season 8 dialogue and images. Again, not really, of course. This is humor. Sorry. (laughs) So this is a humorous book. Yes. So I really... This this book is kind of an enigma. It's set up as like a reference book to the episodes like if you've ever picked up the star trek the next generation companion by larry nemechek for example uh kind of laid out like that with a blurb about each episode and some behind the scenes stuff but of course these are from fake episodes that were never made but he's come up with 26 episodes for a full eighth season of tng And I kind of wanted to start out this discussion by talking a bit about the kind of origin of this and where this came about. So uh, on Twitter, as mentioned in that blurb, at TNG underscore S8, Mike McMahon maintained this, this Twitter account where he basically tweeted short synopses of 
fake episodes of Star Trek. And I, I had you ever followed this account before uh, hearing about this book or hearing about Mike McMahon or anything like that? Um, I have not. I did not. I did not. But it looks like this started in 2011, right? And yeah, I wasn't really that active on Twitter at that time. I well, I was a couple years later. So I, I, I know. I I don't know why. I don't. I never discovered it. I'm sure I saw the tweets, but I never followed it. Mm-hmm. I was actually surprised it started that early when I was kind of looking it up for this. But yeah, it started in October of 2011. And there were kind of new story ideas, new plots being posted there up until January of 2019. There's only one from 2019. So uh, I thought it might be fun to just kind of take a look at a few of these and, and go back through them. So the one from 2019, just as an example, is... Alien monks think Riker is a demon and trap him in an orb. Data and Jordy decide to make a movie together. It's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) So a lot of these, that's pretty representative of kind of uh, uh, these plots that Mike McMahon shared on this Twitter account. Yeah. I mean, just what you read there sounds like the humor in this book for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love that it's a Riker tweet because I have a feeling he really enjoys writing for Riker. I definitely get that. Uh, impression from reading this book and you know we'll talk a little later of course about the links between this book and the television series star trek lower decks but the way that commander ransom is written on this on that show i'm thinking is you know he's just channeled all of that hyper riker energy from these tweets and this book into that character that is exactly what i thought as i was reading this book Every time I was reading a scene with Riker, I was like, wow, this sounds a lot like Ransom. Yeah. And so this Twitter account, I'm just flipping through it and like it goes back so far and I'm I'm looking and, you know, he's talking about watch this new show, Rick and Morty on Adult Swim in 2013. And it's amazing how far this account goes even back before Rick and Morty. So, uh, for example, just picking a random one here beverly clashes with aliens who own the copyright to their slaves dna Worf is starting to actually believe he has a girlfriend in canada <laughs> I'm, I'm loving this like some some definitely very you know topical uh moral and ethical plots here <laughs> yeah and as i'm scrolling through this there really aren't that many tweets it says there's 248 and for the time frame that you're talking from 2011 to 2019, I mean, he was more active in the earlier years, but mm-hmm. it doesn't take long for you to just scroll through the account. And I mean, I'm already on 2013 and it didn't take me long to get there. Yeah, it really does slow down quite a bit later. Like I think there's, you know, only four or five in 2014 and then 2015, you know, things are kind of heating up because this book came out in late 2015. So, you know, I think most of that energy kind of got put into that at that point, but yeah, it had slowed down quite a bit by that point. Yeah. Cause I'm seeing a tweet from 2015 from Jason Ho saying, uh, the TNG S eight book is out next week. You know, like not even calling it warped because, you know, people know this Twitter account more so than they know the book, but, mm-hmm. uh, it sounds like he's the one who drew it. Cause he says, I drew the pretty, pretty. 
<laughs> yeah. So we'll definitely talk about uh, the artwork as well. So like we said, the writer, of course, is Mike McMahon, creator of Star Trek Lower Decks. The artists are Joel Watson and Jason Ho, as you've mentioned here. And uh, yeah, it came out in October of 2015. And I got to say, I, I, I hadn't read this book before reading it for this show. And I think I made certain assumptions about it before I read it that kind of didn't turn out to be true. So I had checked out the TNG season eight Twitter account and all that kind of stuff. And I was kind of expecting a little bit more of a bare bones book that was just like the tweets, like single blurb things for each thing and and not what we get in this book, which is kind of, you know, three or four pages of a full synopsis of, you know, what, the episodes about and I say three or four pages I read it as an ebook so the printed book it's probably less than that but it, it's still pretty substantial when I went into it I was I think what I was expecting was short stories which they these are but shorter than what they are mm-hmm. like I was expecting not just tweets but maybe extended tweets like it's you know a story that's like a paragraph or two or maybe three yeah. at the most. Like maybe it's just a page. And each story is a page of a funny situation or scene that was taking place. But they're longer than that. They actually play like an episode, like a summary of an episode that's a couple of, you know, two, three, four pages or whatever it is. And there's the plot A and the plot B in most of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. It goes like almost act by act, you know, telling the story of what's going on with the Enterprise crew. And then they'll go to like the B plot and say what's going on with the B plot, which I notice usually tends to be Geordi and Data getting up to some ridiculous antics. <laughs> <laughs> I start noticing that more and more as you go further in the book, you get to that B plot and it starts off with Geordi and Data doing something. And it's just like... <laughs> Like they, they're like the, uh, the, um, Abbott and Costello or the Laurel and Hardy of the TNG in this book. Absolutely. And I, I, I love the relationship between Data and Jordy in this. It's, it's hard to explain like just how ridiculous they are and how, like, I would say out of character, Mike McMahon writes data particularly, but it's okay because in the world of this book, it works so well. Well, yeah. And that's a good point because that's getting to the style of the humor in this book. It is not like Lower Decks. I mean, in some ways it is, but Lower Decks to me is more true to being Star Trek. This really is a parody. These characters are not exactly how you see them in the TV show their exaggerations and like you said data sometimes doesn't even feel like data because data is just data is almost like running around like a a child but you know doing pranks and things you know and Mm -hmm. and it's not data doing a prank because he was trying to learn what humor is you know he's just pranking people (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah everybody's character is either just completely off the wall ridiculous or greatly exaggerated from how they are on the show. So we talked a little bit about Riker, for example. Riker in this is, you know, the hyper-masculine, always lifting free weights and flexing. And, you know, there's a planet of sentient hummingbirds who, for example, declare war on the Enterprise crew. But, 
you know, when they see Riker with his shirt off, they're just so amazed and mesmerized by his manliness that, you know, they fall in love with him. So, you know, it's like just taking these ideas and exaggerating them to the nth degree. Well, and he does talk in the foreword that the idea behind the stories is that the writers for TNG were really getting to a point that they're they're kind of done with writing uh, the series that they went ahead and wrote an eighth season, but they just put everything out to the way, everything that they just, you know, whatever, we don't care. Let's just do whatever we want. And the book acts as if these episodes were written and filmed, but just never released because it was just (laughs) too off the wall. So they just went ahead and released Star Trek generations after the seventh season. Yeah. That like as a conceit for this, I think that works really well. I think that's a lot of fun. You you can kind of, you know, close your eyes and imagine yourself living in that world where this actually happened. And I think enjoying the book on that level makes it a lot more fun. But yeah, this guide it's really cool. Like like we said, it summarizes the episode, gives you know a few pages of what's going on, usually with some interesting artwork kind of interspersed throughout that. And then, you know, after that, we get memorable quotes, you know, like you would in one of these guidebooks. And it's usually some ridiculous <laughs> little snippet of dialogue. And then, you know, trivia and mistakes and goofs and things like that that you would see, like I said, in, in you know, the TNG companion or something like that. And at the end of every story is an actual photo from an episode and the photo somehow relates to the story. And one like favorite of mine is there's a story about Dr. Crusher and she's trapped in a cave. Well, then at the end of the story, there's a picture of Dr. Crusher in a cave from an actual episode and it's captioned, Dr. Crusher trapped in a cave for a record 100th time. <laughs> As if she's always getting trapped in caves. And the, the writer, Mike McMahon, of course, is very self-aware of the tropes and stuff that he's playing with. So, you know, he'll make the fourth wall breaking comments and stuff where the characters are like, Oh, all these caves look the same and stuff like that. Because of course it's that planet hell set on stage, whatever at at Paramount at the time. So, you know, all those little jokes I love that really show that he knows Star Trek, much like we've seen, of course, in lower decks. Absolutely. And speaking of lower decks, there is a story on here called, the lowest deck. <laughs> yeah, reading that one in particular, I definitely noticed a lot of parallels to lower decks with these characters kind of thing. So, you know, it's funny that he had these kind of ideas really early on that have obviously shaped the show of lower decks. And, you know, we'll get to talking a little bit more specifically about that. But, you know, I want to talk about the, the, acknowledgements at the end as well, where he makes some interesting comments about uh, whether or not he'd ever get the chance to write for a Star Trek show, for example. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's so great to read that now, knowing what happens later to him. Yeah, that blew my mind. So I'm, I'm just going to read that part now. So uh, the acknowledgements or the, the author's note, I get guess at the end starts out with there's no chance I'll ever get to write for a Star Trek show, which is probably for the best. And I just like, I highlighted that specifically because I'm like, Oh man, dude, 2015, you has no idea. <laughs> In five short years, your show will be hitting the air or hitting the, the CBS all access. Like that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, that really stood out to me, too, because I've highlighted that. That was the last thing I highlighted in the book, was that uh, statement. 
can you imagine you're tweeting a fun thing about Star Trek? Hey, you know, like, you know, we could do a Voyager season eight tweet account or something. And next thing you know, it a few years later, we're writing Star Trek. You that know? would be that's incredible. Like what a what a wild ride for a fan. And of course he's he's a he's a Hollywood writer as well. He's written for Rick and Morty and created other shows as well, but you know, still obviously reading this, you just know it was his ultimate dream and and like I can't help but grin for the guy. That's so cool. Yeah, I'm jealous. I want to do that now. Absolutely. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the artwork. We've brought it up, but uh, interspersed throughout these stories are various pieces of art that kind of relate to what's going on in the uh, in the story. So, for example, the final episode of the season, Werewolf Wolf, is, that's the name of the episode, the season finale. Uh, we've got like this, you know, picture of Wesley Crusher trapped in amber with another ensign, and we've got this picture of Riker fighting with a werewolf holding a gun on him, like all these ridiculous uh, situations that the crew find themselves in. What did you think of the artwork going through this? I love the artwork. And if anybody's wondering, if they haven't seen this, it does not look like Lower Decks. I mean, it's it's mm. still animated in that kind of sense, but it's a slightly different style. It's different artists doing it, but it still has that whimsical, fun cartoonish look to it and just to see our characters in this art form and and just when there's certain scenes described and then you turn the page and you get to that artwork that is related to that scene it just makes it even funnier especially when there's uh beings that there's a planet where they all turn into rikers like dinosaurs and things and they all have the beard you know it's just and then you see the artwork and you got that's that's the Riker beard, you know, and then you're seeing it on these different creatures. And it's just funny to see that. That was actually one of my favorite episodes. Thanks for reminding me of that one where they they find this planet that's actually a lot like the planet Voyager finds in the episode Blink of an Eye where they're, you know, time is moving really fast there and things evolve really fast. And yeah, I guess Riker left behind some of his DNA on the planet when they beamed back up and the planet, you know, has evolved an entire ecosystem based on that DNA. So all the birds and all the creatures are all Riker based. <laughs> so his DNA is just that strong, folks. <laughs> yeah. And there's plenty of uh, artwork of uh, Jordy and Data together, as we mentioned about them. Like Jordy's like flying through the air on a bike and Data's down there whistling with his arm in the air like woohoo go Jordy <laughs> like, again you don't expect to see that you know or they're wearing shades and acting real cool together one of my favorite things with them was the fun enterprise where they uh they create the uh alternate enterprise that you know they can have fun on or something like that it was totally ridiculous I love that Oh, that and that's that's from that that's from that one where Jordy's flying the bike over oh, yeah. data, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the thing where they use the transporter that combined our senior crew together into like a Tuvix type person, but with more than two people. Uh, it is, and you know, be patient with me here, Captain, Doctor, Lieutenant Commander, Picarriker, Troy, LaCrusher. 
<laughs> and we get some art on that. <laughs> I think you did a better job at that than I would have. So well done with that. <laughs> <laughs> I practiced it a couple times when I read it. But yeah, so you get this character. We have this uh, drawing here where you got the beard and you got the Jordy hair. You got the Jordy Jordy visor, but only covers one eye. So it's only half of a visor. You got the <laughs> Troy hair in the back. So picture the Jordy hair in the front, the Troy hair in the back, and wearing a Troy uniform. The top looks like Troy's uniform and the bottom looks like the regular uniform pants. I'm trying to think which part of this is, but it's got the beard. I think I said that for Riker. I don't know which part of this is Picard visually, but they're all there. (laughs) Or even Dr. Crusher. I'm not sure where she's represented in this either. (laughs) (laughs) So one thing that kind of surprised me as I'm reading this, so Uh, You may have noticed, listeners, that this is kind of not our usual type of episode. We're not going through the plot bit by bit kind of thing because this is a very different type of book. But one thing I was kind of expecting was as we're getting closer towards the end of the season, I don't know if you noticed this as well, but there are several kind of enemies that they've made over the course of the season that almost seem to be like they're going to gang together to take on the Enterprise. So we have the quantum dolphins show up at one point and and we see one of them show up at the end. And uh, it's actually, I think in the episode, the second last episode, the atrocious Mr. Quispy bumpers. <laughs> it sounds like, it, it sounds like we're making this up guys. We're, we're not, this is, this is real. We're not that clever. Um, No, but Mike McMahon is. Uh, So, you know, it sounds like they're all kind of ganging up to take on the Enterprise crew. And I'm like, ooh, I'm expecting a big, like, cliffhanger season finale thing where they all show up along with Q maybe to, like, you know, do something with the Enterprise. But then the the final episode, Werewolf Wolf, is just nothing. Like, (laughs) so I was like, oh, man, Mike McMahon, you've totally shattered my expectations here again and i think that's just what he does with this yeah there's some continuity going on between some of these episodes so they do have that in there because in the first episode we see wesley return to the enterprise he's bored of being a traveler and he wants to be back and they give him you know his his ensign rank back he's back in the little gray uniform at least in the artwork (laughs) (laughs) and there's a lot of wesley stuffs in here wesley's always like creating something wesley's like you know building another thing or combining something with another something or whatever. But yeah, we get Wesley throughout. Of course we get all the characters throughout the book and, and you to talk about Riker in one of the stories here, and it's the 17th episode, I see hot, which is about Riker. There's just like, I had to highlight certain lines and I just came up on this one and it says right when he's about to be captured, Riker pulls off his shirt blinding the aliens with his intense spectrum of chest radiation. They cover their eyes, scream, and fall to the ground. They've evolved to see on the infrared spectrum, but Riker is just too hot. (laughs) That's so typical of so much in this book, that kind of over-the-top stuff. I love it. So actually, this might be a good time to kind of go through some of our our favorite bits then, because I've got a few highlighted as well. Uh, one that I definitely wanted to share is from uh, the fifth episode. I ha- I only have mitochondria for you. 
And this is from the mistakes and goofs bit because of course, you know, we, we love the books and comics. That's why we do this show. But in the mistakes and goofs for that one, it says basically the sentient virus claims it's into blondes, but Beverly is a redhead. This has been explained in later TNG non-canonical novels. It is referring to her recessive non-expressed blonde DNA. I don't know how people sleep at night without reading the tie-in novels. They fix so many inconsistencies. <laughs> I immediately thought of us as soon as I read that because so many times somebody will bring up like, oh, in this episode, blah, blah, blah. And always in the back of my mind or sometimes said out loud, I'll be like, oh, yeah, they totally Christopher L. Bennett in this one novel explained that by yeah. this, this, and this or something. So I, I love that. I did too. I highlighted that too. I mean, we had to. <laughs> That's so of course. <laughs> you know, one of the stories I thought was kind of funny is, and this isn't a quote of anything funny, it's just the actual story called Barkley's Day, episode 15, mm. where Q <laughs> shows up and there's another Q entity with him that calls himself California Steve. <laughs> 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 and they're testing out Barkley and they're having the day repeat itself to see if Barkley can get through a day without messing something up. That was a great one. I love that one. Because <laughs> he always ends up, you know, killing himself in some horrific way through some accident over and over and over. Over again. and over. And, and no matter what it is, even if he gets it right the next time, he's going to mess something up or get injured in, in another way or whatever. And this goes on for at least 20,000 days. To the point that Q and California Steve are like just tired of it. And then they did, I forget what it is, but something where Picard actually teaches Barkley how to do something right. And that ends the whole sequence. <laughs> <laughs> and I like, I almost feel like there's like a Star Trek message in there, you know, like if you spend the time to, to help someone through something, you know, that, that act will you know, can potentially save them or something. I don't know. Maybe I'm yes. reading too much. No, I think so. I think that was one of the few that does do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I liked uh, in episode 10, uh, the trivia for the episode Deadly Cadence. In the trivia, it says, the producers wanted Mark Twain to show up in this one, but they couldn't figure out how to logically make it happen. Nothing says Star Trek like Mark Twain. Nothing. <laughs> I just, I love this guy's perspective on the Star Trek universe because, you know, obvi that's obviously said tongue in cheek, sarcastically, but that's the kind of humor that I would make about the show, you know, like, even though TNG is absolutely something I love and I love Time's Arrow with Mark Twain, but like it's Star Trek and we're running around with Mark Twain. Like, how does this make sense? But I love it. <laughs> and, it and it's like the premise of this book is the whole idea is if like the writers and everybody just gave up, we're just going to do whatever. We don't care anymore. You know? <laughs> and one of the stories I like too, uh, it's episode 12 where uh, Picard now has a horse and he, and he t get, ends up in a turbo lift, squished in there, oh, trapped God. with his horse. <laughs> I forgot about that one. <laughs> and, and there's artwork of that too. And it's just annoying as the horse's tail is like hitting him in the face <laughs> repeatedly and that sort of thing. And there's all these Borg and the Borg are, are Ferengi, but they're not real Borg. They're Ferengi, pretend to be Borg to try to get things from the ship. But going back to the quotes in this one, and this is really lame, but if you're a Star Trek fan, and of course, if you're familiar with Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, there's this one exchange where Picard says, 
to Riker, number one, I'm trapped on a turbo lift with a horse. And Riker says, I can't hear you, sir. Where are you? And Riker says, I have almost become one with the horse. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm one no. with the horse, yes. <laughs> yeah, Kirk, Kirk says to Spock, Spock, be one with the horse or something. Yeah, oh, that's it, yeah. Yeah. That's one thing that I noticed that's running through this whole season of stories is Picard's, like, tri- tribulations with turbo lifts that's kind of a thing that's going on like at one point i can't remember the name of the episode but the turbo lift turns sentient and like breaks out of the the tube and is chasing picard down a hallway at one point like <laughs> picard just has this whole thing with turbo lifts throughout the whole book which i don't know where that idea came from or how that developed but you know i'm loving it yeah, that's where that there's a thread sometimes. There are repeated beats and situations that happen in different episodes. Because, yeah, there's something later where he gets trapped on a turbo lift again and just like, why? <laughs> it reminds him of the horse, you know? Oh, for sure. And dolphins. We had dolphins throughout, too. Yeah, we had the, the quantum dolphins throughout. That was, that was hilarious, of course. Uh, there's one little bit from episode 14, Terror Forming terror forming i should say i should make that clear uh and i like this one just because it highlights how much mike mcmahon knows about star trek so for example this is just like a little snippet suspicious that the guy showed up just before the atomic dust had settled picard has the enterprise follow willis to hupyria a planet notable only for its delicious beetles and has Riker lead an away team to investigate. So this is a, just a, just a deep cut reference. Uh, Hupyria is the place where uh, Grand Negazek's manservant comes from. He's a Hupyrian servant. And the, the stuff that he snorts is Hupyrian beetle snuff. So he mentions oh. like the, the delicious beetles here. And I'm like, that's great. Like, what a really cool deep cut for just like for someone like me to come along reading this and going, ha ha, I see where you got that. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's really good. I like that. I I didn't pick up on that. See, that's why I like talking to you because you pick up on those (laughs) things. Uh, Yeah. So, you know, there's another one, uh, Transporter Madness, episode six, where it's like the this again involves kind of the lower decks crews that they're they have this fun thing they like to do and that is use the transporter to beam themselves into things like they're trapped into walls and and uh and one point there's an officer that's like stuck like in the ceiling of picard's ready room and half of his leg is in the tank with the fish and but one of the (laughs) things i wanted to mention from that is uh we also have a story that involves uh uh cats with with um data but in the mistakes and goofs it says many of the cats in this episode are obviously children dressed as cats this is especially (laughs) evident when one of the cats direct addresses the camera asking for juice (laughs) i just i think that was like one of the early ones that i just busted out laughing i just pictured a cat looking at the camera going juice (laughs) i i think the mistakes and goofs might be my favorite bit in the book just because the idea behind the book, of course, is that the producers don't care anymore. So, like, it's just all this stuff that's going through that, like, oh, like, obviously that wasn't supposed to be there. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. I just love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and early in the book, there's a really strange story 
called uh, Lecture Circuits, episode two. This is probably one of my least favorites because there's like beings like an Andorian with razor arms and I, just weird looking. There's some artwork about like a zebra that looks like a cop machine computer thing. It's really weird. But anything, one thing I liked about this story was it mentions the Riker maneuver, which is punching with both fists at once while kicking with both legs at once. <laughs> like, how do you do that? Well, we've we've seen how they do that because that's one of the things that he has since reused for Lower Decks now. We saw yes. Mariner do that exact maneuver we have. in the episode. Oh, it's the third episode with the crystal dudes who like crystals with the adjudication geode. Oh, that one. Yeah. I remember. I know which one you're talking about, but I can't think of the name. I have to look it up. I know it's bugging me. I usually, I'm usually good at this. Uh, This show's too new for you to remember that. It was second contact, then envoys, then that one, that one, which is called temporal, temporal edict. Edict. Right. Yes. (laughs) Oh my. So just as a, as a little side note, there was one, I'm sure there's more, but there was at least one Rick and Morty reference. I don't, do you watch Rick and Morty at all? I don't know. Okay. Well, there's, there's a planet in Rick and Morty. I'm pretty sure it's from Rick and Morty called uh Gazorpazorp. <laughs> and there is one line here in, in uh, the, uh, in the aforementioned Barclays day episode uh, in the, uh, trivia at the or no the mistakes and goofs at the end excuse me a space snake would never lay an egg in barkley the tng role-playing game clearly states that space snakes only inject their eggs into giant gazorpazorpian caterpillars duh you'd think the writers could keep important stuff straight (laughs) (laughs) so nice little rick and morty reference there i just wanted to call that out yeah no see i wouldn't have known that And then I definitely have to call this one out. This one's from uh, the episode Icy Hot, which you've mentioned. But this is just another example of Mike McMahon doing his research. So he says, as much as they complain about other species using the illegal technology, the Federation always has found a quantum beacon or a metaphasic sweep or a tachyon detection grid or a gravitic sensor net or subspace sensor echo or high concentrations of tetron particles or distortion waves or an antiproton beam or something to to detect a cloaked ship. (laughs) So I'm like, there, he's gone through and listed every single way that we've ever seen somebody detect a cloaked ship throughout Star Trek history. And I'm just like (laughs) eating this up. I love it. (laughs) I was looking through here. And this is another weird story that I didn't really care for because it was really weird called son of Moog. It was episode 20 involved Worf and a giant cyborg. But the one thing that probably made me laugh the loudest was from this one. It was from the mistakes and goofs. And it's talking about the giant cyborg. And it says, the giant cyborg's nipples should have both been hard or both been soft. Their tendency to get pointy one at a time was weird. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> no, yeah. Hmm. Definitely a mistake or a goof for sure. So speaking of goofs, I do have to say, I really like Mike McMahon and I think he knows the Star Trek universe backward and forward. However, In the aforementioned episode that we've talked about, the fun enterprise, there's one part where I think he made a little bit of a mistake. Uh Uh-oh. So 
he's talking about uh, his cousin Donk coming aboard or something to, you know, to whatever. Yeah, uh, Worf's cousin, right? Yeah. Worf's cousin Donk. Yeah, yeah sorry. Uh, and, you know, they make their way to Kronos and they they have to, like, do something with regards to the house that Worf is a part of. And they mention the house of Martok as being the house. But that's not, Worf wasn't a part of the house of Martok till like season five of Deep Space Nine. That's right. So I was like, ooh, is that a goof? And then like in that same episode, he makes a mention that's like really accurate as far as the uh, timing goes and stuff. Where uh, he talks about Lursa and Bator from the particularly repugnant House of Duras are running the challenges. And he says, remember that this episode was shot before the sisters met their end in the feature film Star Trek Generations, which is obviously before Worf goes to Deep Space Nine and meets Martok and does all that. So it's weird that like, I'm like, is that on purpose that he's thrown that like really obvious mistake in there or... I am I mi- over look am I looking into that too deeply? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't pick up on the mistake. I mean, I see it in here. It says on Cronus, Worf and Donk cobble together matching House of Martok tunics for the challenges. But it doesn't necessarily say they're part of the House of Martok. Maybe they just borrowed the House of Martok tunics. I don't that that that's in my head. Came. Earlier, it does say Worf eagerly chastises Donk, whom he's always considered a bit of a dud. But the House of Martok family is family. He can't abandon Donk to get destroyed by the challenges. So I don't know. I, he's I think he's saying that Worf and Donk are part of the House of Martok. Or could Donk be part of the House of Martok? Well, but he's Worf is saying House of Martok family is family. I can't abandon him. So, yeah. Why would he be saying he's part of the family then? I don't know. Call Mike McMahon. Let's ask him. <laughs> I kind of want to tweet it to him. And I'm like, he's, he's really smart about this stuff. Like, is this on purpose? This feels like it's on purpose. Do it. Do it. Tweet him. Because if he doesn't respond to it, I'd love to know if he goes, oops, made a mistake. Or, nope, this is what <laughs> I meant. You know, I'd love to know if, you know, if he did mean to do that for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. That's your challenge, Dan. I want you to challenge Mike McMahon on his Star Trek knowledge. Ooh, all right. Maybe I will do that. (laughs) Well, of course, his uh, very deep knowledge of Star Trek, which I do allow for and and bow to, uh, has, of course, made him the creator of Star Trek Lower Decks. And we've pointed out a couple of influences that we've seen. So, for example, that Riker maneuver with the punching and kicking at the same time for people. Uh, did you notice any other lower decks things that have been brought over from the book? There's one for sure that I want to talk about that I love. Oh, I can't remember. I'm, I'm sure there, were, I know there were like little things where I was like, oh, I can kind of see where that was. We used something like that in lower decks, but I didn't highlight it or make a note of it. So what were you thinking? What did, what really stood out to you? Well, there's one that is listed under the goofs uh, for episode one episode 21 time fire which is the one we talked about with dr crusher in the cave uh so the one goof they list is the sentient caves sinister laugh was a production choice that the producers regret to this day so yeah the only other time we've heard a mention of a sentient cave was mariner talks about that in the first episode of lower decks when she says uh you know, I was once trapped in a sentient cave. You ever been in a sentient cave? That's a dark place that knows things. 
sense. <laughs> so I was like, oh, nice little, hmm, reuse that there. Well, see, that's interesting, too, because now that we've read this, going forward, when we watch Lower Decks, there may be references to this book that we would have never picked up before that would be like, oh, my gosh, that's from Warped. You know, so I yeah. love this. This is the best. I time. think it's great. If if no one has read this and, and and you like lower decks and you're liking what we're here, what you're hearing here, and and laughing at some of these jokes, it's not a you know a long read. There's 26 episodes, and as Dan said, it's like you know reading the companion books and and just like you know you can read one a night if you wanted to. You know, it, it takes like maybe five to ten minutes for each episode and i think it's worth it like bruce and i we were saying before we started recording on the other side of the page if i don't know if we're still doing that but you know we were saying that uh at first reading this it was kind of hard to know what to make of it right like the first few i was kind of like i don't know that i'm really digging this humor this just seems kind of dumb i don't know but as i got into it and bruce i think you were kind of saying the same thing as we got into this it felt more and more humorous and i was kind of getting the world that mike mcmahon was building and kind of getting a little bit more into the humor and by the end, like I do kind of want to go back and reread from the beginning again and kind of maybe catch some of the things that I was kind of dismissing because I was rolling my eyes too hard. I don't know if that makes sense, but you know, by the end I was really digging this. Exactly. I was experiencing the same thing. I think also because we're so used to lower decks now and when you mm -hmm. get into this and it's not quite like that, it's, it's different humor and it's really more over the top. And of course it's not, TNG. It doesn't feel like TNG. The characters are just, again, really portrayed really silly in a very extreme way. So, yeah, at first, you know, the, I was kind of at first going like, oh, gosh, I don't know if I really want to read all these or not. But then all of a sudden I was just like, OK, I'm getting used to this. I'm starting to laugh out loud at things. And as it went along, I kept turning the page. I just kept going. It got faster and faster because now I was into the rhythm. It was, I was used to this style now that I could really appreciate. So, yeah, I think at first it's a little jarring. But maybe because, you know, you guys who are listening now have heard what we've said and you haven't read this, you kind of have a better idea going in. So maybe it's more palatable when you first start than it was for us. Mm -hmm. I think that will definitely be the case for a lot of people for sure. So uh, I, I guess, are there any kind of final thoughts slash a rating that you would want to give to warped uh, this, this guide to the unaired eighth, eighth season of TNG? <laughs> My final thought is I'm really glad we read this because of lower decks. I think that we are going to see some references or some parallels to this book in lower decks that we will really appreciate when it happens. And I think it also helps us to get in the mind of the creative person behind lower decks to know how Mike McMahon is. And it makes me want to go back and read the tweets as you're mentioning. So, I mean, I don't know how I want to rate this because it's so unusual from what I typically read. So I don't even know how to, evaluate it uh except that i guess i would give it maybe five out of seven characters combined into one <laughs> i like that yeah this is um this book was a lot of fun again like i've said it's something i want to go back and and re-examine again at some point 
But uh, yeah, it may not be for everyone. I'm going to just put that out there. I think there are certain segments that will not really enjoy the humor of this. Uh, and like you said, it's not exactly like Lower Decks. There are definitely some influences here. It's obviously from the mind of the same person, but there are definite differences in the direction that it goes and how seriously it takes itself. So uh, I do really enjoy this. I think it's worth picking up, and uh, especially with the recent uh, bargain that it was that it was uh, available for. I don't think it will be again as, as when this episode comes out, unfortunately, but it, for the month of September, it was at 99 cents on Amazon, which was really nice. But uh, yeah, very, very fun read. I think it's, it's definitely worth picking up and I would give it four out of five Riker based species, you know, a lot of really masculine, awesome, hilarious energy there. <laughs> I don't know. Something With like chest radiating. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And to Mike yeah. McMahon, who's if listening, if you're listening and you have some comments about what we said or, you know, send us an email because we're what positively Trek at gmail.com or tweet yep. to us at positively Trek. I mean, I don't know if he'd listen, but he might be listening. And I'd love to hear if he's got some feedback or thoughts about what we said. Absolutely. And yeah, the more I think about it, I think I am going to tweet Mike McMahon about that question because inquiring minds want to know, you know, if there's one thing we Star Trek fans take seriously, it's our continuity and potential mistakes in that area. So I'm going to I'm going to see if I can hold his feet to the fire on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Not literally. Not literally, no. <laughs> well, on the next Positively Trek book club episode, we are going to be covering a Deep Space Nine novel, and actually one of the early Deep Space Nine novels as well. I'm kind of excited for this one. I haven't read this one before. This is Deep Space Nine number 11, Devil in the Sky, by Greg Cox and John Gregory Betancourt. So look for our discussion about that novel two weeks from when this episode drops. So let me just look at the calendar here. This episode is coming out October 2nd. So October 16th will be our episode about the devil in the sky. So keep an eye out for that. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. You can also find me on YouTube.com slash Productions. And Bruce... I'm on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex, and then, you know, occasionally on the Star Wars Report podcast. And that's kind of it, I guess. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for listening. And until next time, as always, stay positive. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.